done in his heart, and Lord, would you just open our hearts and minds to receive that big, big double of grace and truth that you have for us this evening by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good evening, guys. Great to have an opportunity to speak to you. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, my name's Matt, um, I'm married to Rachel, uh, I've got the glasses and she has the social skills, um, and I've uh, been here a couple, couple of years, I guess. Um, and yeah, as Lydia said, I work for um, a popcorn company, um, but there won't be much of that uh, tonight, it's very hard to shoot on into scripture. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be carrying on the series tonight on um, 1 Peter, and uh, have the cheering subject of... Um, suffering for the gospel, um, which I thought I could sort of just do practically by preaching for a couple of hours, but um, instead we'll, uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep it brief and have some time to, um, to pray for each other at the end. Um, so I suppose when I was just like thinking about what does it mean to suffer for the gospel, um, I, I instantly felt like this was a pretty like, unfamiliar topic for me to speak on, and so the first sort of caveat is like, I'm not an expert in suffering for the gospel. Uh, I'm not an expert in um, super, super distinctive um, Jesus, but it's definitely something I want to get on board with. Um, but actually, I started to think about, well, what does suffering for like, my faith look like in my life? And I sort of thought some pretty twee examples. And most of us sort of like, if you're having, um, you've got your friends around for dinner and your mum and dad are going to do grace, um, and that sort of feeling in your heart of knowing that grace might go on for like more than 10 seconds, and everyone's going to be awkward. Um, it was a form of suffering for me, certainly growing up. And another example is sort of when we're here in church and we're lining up and it's communion time, and you've, you've unfortunately sort of like placed yourself in the middle, and the communion keys go in our direction, you know you sort of sacrificially put yourself at the back of one of them. Um, but it's all Jesus, so it's good stuff, right? Um, and, and maybe the most uh, sort of profound example that any of you sort of come to church a lot in your lives to sort of identify with um, is uh, that feeling at church when they bring out the squash and to save money for the PCC, the squash is just like hideously weak. I think that's one of the things that we've consistently got wrong as Christians when we're trying to reach people, is just like pathetically weak squash. Um, so anyway, so, I, so we're going to be talking about suffering for the gospel, and I suppose the real, the real message tonight is that I really, really want to see um, like everyone in this country get to know Jesus. I really want to see revival in our lifetime, uh, and I want to see something change in our culture. Um, and I think... If, for any of you that are here who are Christians, I imagine that's something that's, that's also on your heart. And on the flip side, maybe if you're, if you're not a Christian or you're, you're exploring faith, um, you probably I imagine are here because you're sort of thinking, well, what is, um, what is Christianity really about and why is it worth it? And so whichever camp you're in, really, um, the message um, this evening is um, that being a Christian is not, not easy, um, but it is good and it is worth it. And uh, it's, yeah, running off Jesus is the best thing you can do. Um, so, uh, so I suppose I've been thinking about, you know, uh, my idea of suffering over here and how much that is at odds with real suffering for the gospel, whether that's Jesus being strung up on a cross um, for saying um, that he was the way, the truth and the life, um, or whether that's the early church getting persecuted by Nero um, for saying that Jesus was the way, the truth and the life, or whether that's 70,000 Christians as there are in North Korean labour camps. Uh, just there because they believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, or whether it's Azia Bibi, uh, who's been in the news a lot lately, um, who was demanded to convert to Islam and said, well, I believe in my religion and in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for the sins of mankind and as such was sentenced to death for blasphemy. 
um, fortunately has, has been, um, isn't going to be sent to death anymore. Uh, but I suppose the sense in my heart is that this is an issue that we find really hard to connect to um, because we're, we're broadly pretty comfortable. And I'm aware that there'll be some here tonight who maybe really do feel like they're suffering for, for their faith. And, um, and, and, and we are with you on that and we want to support you in that. And, and that is part of what we're talking about tonight. But uh, my impression is that broadly most of us feel like we're probably not. And uh, the challenge this evening is, I think that's probably because we're not being brave enough. The message tonight is not that we should seek out suffering for the sake of it, but it is that it is an almost inevitable consequence of being distinctive in a world that is moving further and further away from the truth of Jesus. And so if I just summarise what, what I'd like to say this evening, it's just to say you cannot radically follow Jesus unless you radically expect to suffer for and like him. So I'll take you to the passage because that's the um, sort of rudder for this evening. So it's uh, 1 Peter 4. Uh, if you can grab the Bible, um, please do. Um, page 1154, um, starting at verse 12 of chapter 4. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. Let's pray. Um, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be here this evening and that you would speak to us. Um, Father, would you uh, uh, teach us about you, Lord, and um, encourage us to be brave for you. And uh, as Connor was leading us, actually, before he said uh, what he said, I actually felt really strongly that there's, there's definitely at least one person here tonight who's um, come with a real sense of darkness over them and just needs to know that Jesus loves them. And so I don't want that message to be missed in, in what I'm about to say. So, Father, would you just um, yeah, would you just let us know that you love us right now? That's a simple, simple but crucial truth. And Lord, just open our ears to you. Amen. And so three points this evening, um, really, around that main point. Um, one is that we should expect suffering. Um, secondly, that we should actually find a way of giving thanks in it and taking joy in it. And thirdly, that we should trust God to lead us through it. So firstly, why should we expect suffering? Well, it's partly because Peter says this to us. Uh, verse 12, Peter says, Defense, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. I mean, the reason for this, just think of it really, really practically, is that the Christians have just started to establish themselves, and the church is growing really fast. And it was once thought of, maybe this is just a group of Jews following around, like a Jewish rabbi called Jesus, maybe that's what it is. But by the time that Peter's writing, Christianity started to become a really distinctive movement on its own, and a movement that perhaps is at odds with the society it's in. Particularly at odds, perhaps, with a culture in which you were expected to worship the Roman emperor as if you were a god, where the Christians instead were saying that Jesus is Lord. And so 
Peter is being really clear that the, the early church has just got to expect that there's going to be a fiery ordeal uh, come on them to test them and that the challenge is to rise to that test. And, and this really reminds me of Matthew 16, 24, really, really important verse in the Bible. It says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And so we know that a clear part of our faith is to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when I hear that verse now, today, like in Fulham or, you know, and granted, I, we live in Battersea, so, you know, maybe it's a little bit rough there. But broadly speaking, quite hard to identify what that really means. But this really did mean when Jesus said this to his disciples, you need to be willing to, to suffer for this because it's the most important thing. And the world isn't going to realise it's the most important thing unless you live like it's the most important thing. And so he knew that it would lead him to his death. And he even told the disciples that it was going to lead them to their deaths too, perhaps. Uh, John, John 21, um, Jesus tells and Peter, that he will die for the gospel. So it's a pretty literal message. And so I suppose the first point, why should we expect this? We should expect it because the gospel is fundamentally uh, controversial. That's inherent to what the gospel is. Um, it shakes up the order of things. And I suppose in our context, think about what we should expect. I think firstly we should expect that if we're not going to maybe be, you know, uh, hanged for believing in Jesus, um, that at the very least we should expect that our views become seen as outdated, um, that our priorities look completely upside down, and, and thirdly perhaps that our desire to uphold the poor and the marginalised at our own cost um, should be something that is, appears completely irrational in the extent to which we're willing to do it without compromise. So we should expect to suffer. Uh, but secondly, the next challenge is that we should give thanks in it. Um, and perhaps that's even more challenging. So, so here we are, and Peter says, but, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And so I think what's really clear here is that the, the, early, the early church are in this position of being... Uh, persecuted and trampled on and yet Peter is saying but rejoice and the reason for this is that you're going to participate in the sufferings of Christ and so what that means is that when we hang our colours to the mast and say I'm going to follow Jesus we get closer uh, to the experience of what it was to be like a follower of him in that time to get the dust off his sandals that as as we sort of move into distinctive living for Jesus that actually we know more truly what it is to be with him, to be a disciple of his. And so it is possible to rejoice in that because we're just getting nearer and nearer to the king. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So it's like two really challenging bits to that. It's everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus and they will be persecuted. And so when I think about work, okay, but I'm, I'm not being persecuted. Maybe that's partly cultural, but why else might it be? Well, it might be because I'm not always living a godly life in him. There's, there's two things in there that I can't argue with. It's everyone, and it's, it will happen. And so it's a pretty universal thing. It's a pretty universal experience for Christians. But the bigger picture here is what allows us as Christians to do this. He says, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And this, this is why we're really doing this, is we're not just asked to follow Jesus in, in this life as an end to itself, 
But it's all pointing to the fact that one day he's going to come back and we're going to be on his side. And so it's so much easier to give thanks in, in suffering for his name if we have that eternal perspective, if we know that one day he'll be coming back and we want him to say, like, well done, good and faithful servant. Like, well done, you, you stood up for me when it was difficult or you sacrificed your reputation or you looked silly at work or, you know, you actually said what you did on Sunday, even though it made you feel a bit awkward. But that's actually just a small part of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back and we want to say, yes, I'm on your side. I've always been backing you. you you're the winner. I, I want to be on your team, Jesus. And so verse 16 says this. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And uh, when, I, when I read that, um, just preparing for this, I was really taken back to, um, to Acts. And in Acts 5, there's this point where Peter's um, in the temple. And the temple is obviously this place of um, sort of like Jewish decorum and a really real high seat for Jewish worship. Um, and what happens is Peter goes in there and starts, starts teaching the gospel and he's told, to, he's told in no uncertain terms to, to shut up. Uh, and he says, no, we must obey God rather than human beings. And so if there's one message from this evening, it's that we must obey God rather than human beings, basically. Um, like I've got some other points, I've got some other stuff, but really we should obey God rather than human beings. And there are times where we can do both. The two are not necessarily mutually exclusive. But there are times, and there will be times, and my, I think my, my sense is in our culture that increasingly there will be times where we are called to obey God rather than human beings, where the two are put at odds with each other. So are we going to do that when it happens? And are we going to take joy in it when it happens? And so what happens, which is just like blew my mind, is that uh, Peter and the apostles get led out of the temple and they're going to be killed, but instead they're, they're merely flogged. Um, so I'm sure they're counting their lucky stars. And it says, but they left rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. I'll just read that again. But I think it's wicked verse. They left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And that, that really hit my heart because um, they, they, I mean, they've just been flogged and they're walking out of the temple rejoicing because they got to suffer for Jesus, because they got to suffer uh, for the sake of standing up for what they believed, and they got to suffer because what they believed was really, really important and people really, really needed to know it. And so I think the message for us here is why should we give thanks in suffering for the gospel? It's because when we do that, we actually show the world that we're part of something way bigger than our own self-regard, than our own regard for our reputation and our standing, which of course is broadly... Uh, what is held to be important in this world. Is it's like, well, what boxes are you ticking and how much are you earning and, you know, who are you going out with and what are, you, what are your prospects and how's your family? And, and it's really not about saying, well, I actually believe some stuff that's um, going to cause some trouble. And so when that happens, um, I'm going to give thanks so that you know it's not just about me and I'm not worrying about my rights and my identity in this, but I'm just really glad that I've stood up for Jesus. And so thirdly, we need to somehow learn to trust God to lead us through um, suffering for his name. We know, we know in the Bible that he has said that he promises to never forsake us. But undeniably, it's really, really hard. I mean, I don't know if any of you have just maybe had a time uh, where you've just been asking God if he's there. Maybe not while you've not been a Christian or maybe since. Where you've been saying, well, are you there? Talk to me, God, talk to me. And it's just felt like he's silent. 
And even that in of itself, um, spending that time, committing time to like, trying to find out about God, trying to talk to him, and feeling like there's nothing there, that in and of itself can, can feel like suffering. Uh, and, and so it's not easy, and so I don't want to sort of fluff over this and sort of say, we'll just trust God and be happy in it. It's not easy to suffer for the name of Jesus. It's really, really hard, but he will lead us through it. That is the promise that he gives us here. And so what we do know is, if you look at verse 14, it says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And so my encouragement for us this evening is that when, uh, perhaps when you feel like uh, you are suffering, uh, you're starting to maybe stand up for a few more things, you're starting to really pin your faith in the middle of everything that you do, and perhaps it will draw some attention at points. Um, that actually in those very moments, that's exactly when the spirit of glory and God rests on you, that God draws especially near to his children when they show they're willing to pay a price, when they show that he matters more to them than they matter to them. So God draws especially near to us, and that's one of the ways where we can trust him to lead us through it. Secondly, if you look at verse 19, it says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator, and continue to do good. And so the point here really is that um, we, we can trust God to be with us because he's the guy who made us in the first place. And so if you look at, um, take this back to Genesis, I think there's a really deliberate parallel, the use of creator and the use of good. Like God made heavens and the earth, he's the creator, and, and he saw that it was good. And so the opportunity for us as Christians is to live genuinely good holy lives in light of the fact that Jesus has died for the sins that we've already committed and that by his grace we're saved. So we can live genuinely good lives that show what, you know, what a sort of new creation world would look like and that we're brought into that by the faithful creator. So Peter tells us, continue to do good. Don't let the fact that you're suffering stop you from doing good. Even if doing good means you attract even more of it. Keep on going. And so what does this mean? I suppose there's um, sort of like three, three areas of application that I just want to sort of draw out. Um, the first is that we, uh, we need to stand up for Jesus. Um, so Acts, Acts 5 says that they never stop proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So they've been flogged, they've come out of the temple and it just ends saying they never stop proclaiming and teaching the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So we've got to keep on going. We've got to believe that, like, Either we're totally wrong or, or, or like it's totally right and the world just really, really needs to know. There isn't really a middle ground in this. And so we've got to encourage each other and uphold each other in being completely sold out for this. Like, uh, Revelation 3.16 says, uh, you know, um, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Um, and so there's a really strong challenge that we've got to, we've got to go for this. Um, there is no point in sitting in the middle here. And that, and that can make you unpopular. And I think a relevant example in our time was, um, was that of Tim Farron, um, who uh, was leader of the Liberal Democrats, um, and essentially was asked, was asked what he thought about um, uh, practising homosexuality and said, well, is this a sin, Tim? And he said, no. Uh, and he then later uh, reneged on that position and said, actually, I'm a Christian, I do believe this, and I, I don't believe I can be in, in this party anymore. Um, and and have these views, unfortunately. Um, and regardless of the way you sit politically, and I think also Tim Brown would probably say he didn't deal with that situation perfectly, I think it is still a really good example to us of someone still being ultimately willing 
to, uh, to look foolish for their faith and to ultimately get back to their principles and stand up for them. And that's not an easy thing to do. Those are the people, at least in our country, who, who we should be upholding and supporting in those positions of influence where it's so difficult to stand up for what you believe in and, and tow the party line and navigate it. We need to uphold those people and also learn from them, being brave, knowing that he's with us. And secondly, it's standing up for others. And so that can be, uh, so some of the numbers I was talking about earlier, that can be giving to something like Open Doors and recognising that um, we are really fortunate and really privileged to not be suffering um, as some are for their faith and supporting ministries that are protecting those. Uh, perhaps actually for you, it's actually challenging yourself to have radical, costly generosity um, to the poor on your doorstep. Um, perhaps it's about giving a little bit more so that you, you feel the pinch a little bit more um, because you really believe um, that everyone needs to be upheld. Um, and they, that doesn't mean just looking after um, you know, poor, poor Christians. We need to be looking after the poor. That's what Jesus tells us to do. We shouldn't just be seen to be loving, um, lo only loving Christians. We're told that we need to love the world to get them to know that God loves them. Ralph Dragon, when he was speaking to the, uh, to the, the men, like all the men, uh, blokes, um, uh, spoke to us about how like, I think before, before work every day he would sit down with a list of everyone uh, in his team and go through them name by name and, and like pray over them and, and just ask God to bless them and for help and for like compassion for them during the day. And I thought that's a great way of taking away this secular, sacred divide that we often put in our lives um, and saying I want God to be in my workplace. Um, and, so, and so that's the second point is, is, you know, standing up for others and caring about them, genuinely caring about them even if it costs us something. Uh, whether it's time or reputation. And lastly, um, specifically to stand up, um, to, to perhaps not stand up for ourselves so that we can stand up for the marginalised. And uh, I suppose this is a, a, a tricky one to land, but um, I just want to, to briefly sport, speak about the issue of abortion, uh, which is such a hot potato, and such, such a difficult issue. And I suppose there's, there's two things that I want us... I'd encourage us to do as a church. One is to really uphold and love um, those, those who have been through, um, been through abortion. And so if, if that's you, just please would you know that you are loved uh, and, and that there is grace and that we love you here. And, and I want to hold that at the same time as saying um, that I really think that the, the unborn child is something that we need to fight for in our generation and this might be one of the battles that does make us unpopular with the world. And this might be one of the battles that does put us at odds with the, uh, the philosophy of the modern age. And because I believe that like, God has knitted us together in our mother's womb, that he sees us and knows us, and because I believe that, uh, that babies deserve the presumption um, of humanity. And so who, who better can we stand up for um, than the 50 million babies that are dying every year? So we're going to be unpopular for some of these views, um, and I acknowledge that. Um, and the battle is not to seek conflict for the sake of it, it is to seek the heart of Jesus, um, but to be willing to sort of pick up um, the armour of God as that comes along and, and stand up for him in the face of difficulty. And so just to summarise, um, you cannot radically follow Jesus unless you radically expect to suffer for and like Jesus. But just know that when you're in that, he is for you and he is supporting you and he loves you. And so, um, so I'd love for us to, uh, if we can just stand, that'd be great. Um.
And uh, yeah, perhaps we just close our eyes. Um, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here. Um, my sense is that there's probably the, the main challenge this evening. I'd love to pray for people who would like to be braver. I would love to be braver um, in standing up for Jesus, no matter what the cost, in whatever shape that looks like in your life. So yeah, I'd love, in the spirit of bravery, um, if you would like to be braver in your pursuit of Jesus, um, I'd love you just to come to the front, um, just to come forward, um, so that we can pray for you. And Lord, as we do that, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would come. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come into this place. Lord, we want to be obedient followers of you. Come, Holy Spirit.